0: Check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. You're listening to The Frankie Files, Files frankiefilespodcast.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Frankie Files. I'm Frankie, your host and producer. This week, it's time again for mind control topics, and it often leads us back to propaganda. Because how are you going to control a mind without the words and tricks of propaganda? Looking back to my cult days of 12 years when I was age 8 to 22 in Morningland Church in Long Beach, I can draw on what propaganda looks and feels like in real life. They put it on thick and they successfully duped a lot of people, thousands. Having experienced that, now I can see propaganda coming, whether it's political, social, friends, family, in films and TV. When someone wants to get people on board with an idea, they have to use propaganda to do it, or they have to take it by force. And you need people to get anything done, even to take it by force, So the propaganda is always present. In war, how do you convince people to risk their lives? Go to a place with the idea of maiming and killing people through propaganda. Looking back to those times in my formative years and bringing it to now, I'm always surprised at the audacity of propaganda. It's bold and it's persuasive. It doesn't have to be too creative. It just has to play on people's fears and desires. Propaganda has some trademark traits that are known. Here are some to look out for. And this is just me, what I keep close to my vest for my own experience. Later, we're going to get into the Institute of Propaganda Analysis that used to exist in America. And they wrote um, seven telltale signs of propaganda. We're going to get into that at the very end of the broadcast. So please stay tuned for that. But this is, for me, what I look for. First, propaganda is uniform. The idea is repeated by multiple sources, groups, companies, exactly the same. The talking points are wrote, relayed, and coordinated while being reduced to one or two words or sentences. Second, it's bold. It may sound so ludicrous and audacious at first, that it may make you curious to get an explanation or ask questions. Three, it comes at you from multiple parties and feels like peer pressure. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable. Propaganda is used every day to get things done. According to Randall Martin from Propaganda and the Ethics of Persuasion, Propaganda is the organized attempt through communication to affect belief or action or inculate attitudes in a larger audience in ways that circumvent or suppress an individual's adequate, informed, rational, reflective judgment. Martin describes rationality is suspended and it grips to the human emotional part of the brain and fast. Remember that quote. From an interesting website about ideas called BigThink.com, I found some really good Detail about the type of person who does or is good at propaganda. They're called sophists. In ancient Greece, there were sophists. Sophists are people who use their intellect for personal gain rather than the pursuit of knowledge. By applying lessons from great thinkers, we make life harder for modern sophists, often politicians and self help gurus. A lot of great info there. Applying lessons from great thinkers. We make life harder for modern sophists, often politicians and self-help gurus. So simply being critical in thinking, being analytical and being observant, we actually guard ourselves and society against sophists. Okay, here's more from this article at BigThink.com. They get into how the sophist does the propaganda. Straw Manning is when someone formulates a weak or imaginary version of their opponent's arguments to make their own appear stronger. Sophists use highbrow language to distract from any discrepancies in their logic. On the other hand, not all Sophists' propaganda uses highbrow language. A number of public intellectuals have built careers out of simplifying complex social, cultural, and economic phenomena. These individuals are ostracized by the academic communities in which they were trained for leaving out crucial but contradictory details in their efforts to construct big pictures. Recognizing sophists remains challenging because of the way certain ideas grow and take root. Now listen, this is the center of so many debates. How do you recognize a cult leader or a dangerous cult leader or someone that's a charismatic, persuasive leader that's going to do people harm? How do you recognize it? Again, from BigThink.com, quote, recognizing sophists remains challenging because of the way certain ideas grow and take root, end quote. Very important quote there. Continued, sophists are defined by their motivations, writing and speaking for material gain rather than the gratification of philosophic inquiry alone. A reliable philosopher does not just make arguments that are consistent across their career, but they also tend to argue against things rather than for them. By applying lessons from great thinkers, we make life harder for modern sophists, often politicians and self-help gurus. That's a righteous thing to do. Wow, I love this. When plowing through my choices on a daily basis, this gets to the heart of where I am as an activist. It isn't just about me. It's about making sure the next generation can learn from what I've gone through. It's about making sure society can instantly recognize these fake intended people, these sophists. We have to learn. It's hard because the world is ruled by these fantastical ideologies which are taught to us from birth. Propaganda. They are firmly rooted. Each agency wants to push and influence as many as they can from birth. It's a human battle. Indoctrination and propaganda do not just become popular, a faction or dominant power made them so. It's never organic. And I challenge that religion is organized. And I challenge that religion is organic. It's not. When you think about how male-dominated religion is, that's the first flag. There's 50% of the race you're trying to leave out. You're going to tell them what to do. Hmm, okay. When you think about how vilified women are in the text of pretty much all religion that's another red flag we're half the race and you can't even get on this planet without coming through a woman when you read about ancient times and how most religions are based upon a male mystic who goes into a cave and has a vision many religions are based on a male mystic who goes into a cave and has a vision it's hard for a lot of you to hear this right now i know took me years to get to this point. If you aren't at that place where you're able to see through religious propaganda and its long-lasting effects on society, you aren't ready to question God, Jesus, and the entire religious intent and structure. For that, I'm sorry, but that's going to happen on this show, controversial or not. It's taken me many years to get into questioning my reality and that of humanity. And it's taken lots of reading too. But these aren't conspiracy theories. In fact, they're questioning the validity of conspiracy theories, myths, fairy tales. The whole realm. This where I lived emphatically from age eight to twenty-two, so I understand that some people cannot even hear this right now. It's okay. But when you begin to question in earnest that everything isn't a given, that maybe Some things have been made up by men for men, and it's so convenient that the seers are exempt from playing by any rules of society, even financially. Then you start to see problems in the roots of religion. Warning, questioning society can make you upset sometimes, because it's a lot of BS, so have your favorite music handy to vent off some steam still quoting from bigthink.com which i recommend on many topics of philosophy rosa asian's quote from their book god a human history quote asian says if you believe in god then what you believe in is something that is by definition utterly unhuman how do you form a relationship with something that is utterly unhuman the way you do so is by humanizing that thing it is only a long Intimately linked and remarkably cohesive narrative in which human beings increasingly humanize the divine until of course in the person of Jesus God literally becomes a human being. End quote. I'm at that point of debunking religion. What is it to debunk something? It's to expose the sham or falseness. To debunk something by dictionary terms is to take the bunk out of it. The bunk is the nonsense. Debunking is more than disproving because it implies it's revealed as a sham. It's not only untrue, it's a sham. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com And for the sake of argument, take this approach to religion. So religion, politics, cults, Various institutions are using these techniques on us for propaganda all the time. The part I am stuck at is getting the word out there, A, that this is happening, yes, even in the good old USA, and B, how to recognize it. That's what today's episode is all about. But continuing each first Tuesday, that's what this show is about. Via the article at Psychology Today by Noam Svancer, Ph.D., posted February 2017, If you can't find the sucker at the poker table, you're it. Looking at politics today, we may say, If you don't hear much about propaganda, that's what you're hearing. Another great quote. Comment the word propaganda has its roots in Catholic Church in the early centuries. It meant to propagate Catholic views and stem the rise of Protestantism. And it's defined by many as the spreading of ideas, information, rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, cause, or person. Propagandists appeal to fear, courage, hatred, and love. The propagandist's process subordinates the facts to an agenda, even at the price of distorting or ignoring the facts altogether. In 1937, the Depression era Concerns that Americans in USA were vulnerable to extremist ideologies led to the creation of the Institute for Propaganda Analysis, the IPA. No, guys, not the beer. The IPA defined propaganda as expression of opinion or action by individuals or groups deliberately designed to influence opinions or actions of other individuals or groups with reference to predetermined ends emphasis. My comment is I like this wording a lot with reference to predetermined ends. In other words, it's damn manipulative. The article continues. They went on, the IPA that is, to teach U.S. citizens how to recognize propaganda, how to analyze it, and how to appraise it. Savvy propagandists draw their power in large part from the fact that their targets are not aware that propaganda is being used on them. Propaganda is not a magic show, but a con, says Svancer on the psychologytoday.com article. A mind not trained to detect and neutralize propaganda is a gullible mind, ripe for the swindle, he continues. So I looked up this article and it was glorious. He was referring to Institute for Propaganda Analysis, an independent board, mainly educators, from 1937 to 1942. Just taking a pause there, This, um, according to Wikipedia, and I'll get into a lot more about this document created by the IPA in a moment. Why did it stop existing in 1942? Because they decided to stop teaching us about propaganda and instead started using it? but I want to hover here a moment. How did it start? I went to researchworks.oclc.org Archive Grid, which is a New York Library description of the boxes you can see in person. The IPA was founded in New York City in 37 by a group of scholars in the social sciences for the purpose of assisting the public to detect and analyze propaganda. It conducted research into the methods by which public opinion is influenced, published analysis of current problems, and promoted the establishment of study groups in public schools for detecting propaganda. It published a monthly bulletin propaganda analysis from 37 to 41. The organization was dormant during World War II, and in 50, all formal operations ceased. The personnel were Executive Directors Clyde R. Miller and Alfred McClung Lee, with members of the Institute's Advisory Committee and others. Correspondence relates in part to the preparation of propaganda analysis and to the allegations that some of the officers were communists or communist sympathizers. Other topics are the funding and operations of the IPA, board elections and research projects. Financial records include statements and audit records. Also, press releases, circular letters, ballots for board elections, certificates of copyright registration, drafts of IPA publications, and printed ephemera. Anyone in New York? (laughs) Again, researchworks.oclc.org. And that is some material, original material, from the Institute for Propaganda Analysis. Okay, so there's a lot to cover here. A little bit more about the IPA from sourcewatch.com. The Institute of Propaganda Analysis was a US-based organization composed of social scientists, opinion leaders, historians, educators, and journalists, created in 37 by Mather, Edward Curtly Mather, Edward A. Philein, and Clyde Miller. The IPA formed the General Concern that increased amounts of propaganda were decreasing the public's ability to develop their own critical thoughts. The purpose of the IPA was to spark rational thinking and provide a guide to help the public have well-informed discussions on current issues, to teach people how to think rather than what to think. The IPA focused on domestic propaganda issues that might become possible threats to the democratic ways of life. The former head of the IPA was Hadley Cantrell. I feel like I'm in a gold mine digging nuggets out right now. From masscommunicationtalk.com, I read this. During the four years of its existence, the Institute was quite productive, generating numerous pamphlets, books, and articles explaining how propaganda works. Read more about propaganda techniques in the box entitled Applying the Seven Propaganda Techniques. The Institute was successful in developing an anti-propaganda curriculum adopted by high schools and adult education programs across the country. It was so successful that it came under attack for undermining the effectiveness of propaganda techniques seen as essential to defending democracy. (laughs) Stop it. We can't use propaganda anymore. You better stop teaching these people. So it ended in 1942, many sites list, and never came back. I will recommend an experience for you. You're going to have to take this down, and I'll put this particular link in the description. The link in the description, archive.org forward slash details forward slash IPA volume one, is an audio and visual book to read, which is 101 pages and is original material from the IPA back then. It's a great find. I highly recommend it, and we'll put this link in the description of this episode. I'm going to be reading it myself. But the glaring question here, why did a board made up of teachers and diplomats to help Americans fend off propaganda end? I finally found the answer to that, but not to who funded the Institute. Though it seems clear enough, it was not government subsidized, making it even clearer of who may have ended it. Because they needed to use propaganda, the American government. And the organization doesn't exist, so we know who won. So this next part is pretty much a lot of dense information. It's definitely worth reading the articles at consilienceproject.org. C-O-N-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E. Project.org. This article, written by their group, includes much research on propaganda in USA through time, starting with the ending of the IPA in 42. Why did it end? I found my answer here. October 2021. Counteroffensives in propaganda were needed. The war mobilization efforts for World War II mark another watershed in the history of propaganda. The Institute for Propaganda Analysis was arguing against propaganda when all the strongest arguments in favor of rebooting American propaganda efforts were gaining traction. The position of the IPA became untenable. They became subject to attack and slander, accused of aiding the enemy. But why? Justifications for the use of modern propaganda can be found in the political science of the late 19th century that grappled with the implications of Darwin and Freud. This period of social theory marks the beginning of the eclipse of rationalism. Intellectuals and politicians would soon no longer believe that citizens of democracies could simply be understood as naturally rational, good, and self-possessed. The common refrain of pro-propaganda thinkers in the early 20th century was that individuals and crowds are fundamentally irrational. Anything resembling mass communication, therefore, should be implemented in light of realistic views of human nature. (laughs) So that was their excuse, sort of like because COVID. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com Excuse? Humans are naturally irrational, which I don't agree with. Okay, continued. The general conclusion is that there is no choice but to engage in sloganeering, deploy simplistic rhetoric, and use provocative images. Propagandistic communication is the only way to deal with the irrational modern crowd. It's the only way to approach governance and public opinion In a modern urban society under conditions of broadcast communication, radio and TV at that time, and more to the point, if our side does not use these means, the other side will. The IPA was outgunned. The argument was over. Debates about protecting Americans from their own propaganda would not begin until after the war, World War II. The result this time was the Smith-Munt Act of 1948, which disallowed U.S. government agencies from targeting Americans with materials officially categorized as propaganda. Translation, in 1948, it was instated, so that was after World War II. Rosie the Riveter wouldn't exist without the World War II propaganda. Ironic, right? But the Smith-Munt Act, M-U-N-D-T, of 1948 is what they're pointing out at this article that... um, stopped the U.S. from using propaganda on its own citizens. More recently, the article continues, the Obama administration rolled back many of these protections. That was in 2012 as a part of the War on Terror. That's why all the restrictions on people's income, if they say something wrong online, can be targeted because of these disregards, to the Smith-Mund Act of 1948 that Obama put in place. It began the active operation of propaganda in the United States on its own people, 2012. Back to the article at consilienceproject.org. But what happens when governments pull the trigger on information campaigns targeting their own people? With the benefit of hindsight, we can now see what occurred in the lead-up to World War I, And the outcome when the full weight of government machinery gets behind a domestic propaganda campaign. For Bernays, the necessity of engineering consensus and orchestrating public opinion had already been demonstrated. On the basis of the evidence of recent history and along with most of those he influenced, he assumed the following claims. Okay, so this is what Bernays, the pro propagandists, believes. Humans as individuals and in crowds are irrational. The public cannot be told complex truths. Modern conditions necessitate social control by information control. Ethically, information campaigns are preferable to physical force or overt coercion, and therefore, there is no useful operation difference between education and propaganda when dealing with the public. Now that's hard to stomach, huh? The article continues, Social media sites curate content using algorithms that optimize for virility and seek to keep eyes on sight. Attention drives ad revenues, so anything that arrests attention is valued. This business model of attention capture results in algorithms that curate content based on qualities that make them likely to prioritize the delivery of propaganda, such as catchiness, emotional intensity, and confirmation of held beliefs. The devastating result is that information warfare is driven inadvertently by the business models of the companies that produce and profit from our basic social technologies. Computational propaganda. Wait a minute. That term's new to me. Computational propaganda. Oh, okay. AI stuff. Computational propaganda unfolds in the context of 24-7 Screen access through which a great deal of identity formation now takes place. Mm. With this amount of time and investment in digital media that is overrun with manipulative interactions, limbic hijacking can turn to limbic overload. Limbic is a part of the brain. Seeing 10 propaganda billboards on your way to work is significantly different from engaging with 30 micro targeted HD video ads on your way to work, many of them deeply emotionally manipulative and conceptually complex. Okay, here is a document contained in this article, which I'm only reading portions of. It details how AI, via the internet, is delivering propaganda to us. It's entitled, Technology Trends Escalating Culture Wars, Manipulating Users for the Purpose of Advertising. First, the inability to distinguish commercial from non-commercially motivated information and AI sock puppets from real humans. Inability to distinguish honest information from intentional misinformation for strategic advantage. Decreased message length. Increased message frequency. Inability to track all message sources. Information overload. Faster forgetting less reflection. Mm, you know, that's right. The absence of shared overarching meta-narrative that could potentially reconcile conflicting information and perspectives. Escalating emotional intensity of information. Sanctimony. Outgroup. Antipathy. Normalization of weaponized language. Lies. Slander. Censorship. Politicization. I highly recommend that site, which I have bookmarked. Consilienceproject.org, c-o-n-s-i-l-i-e-n-c-e-project.org. Now let's get to this document, this gold mine. the Institute for Propaganda Analysis. They put out this document, and it's still so on point. It's all still used by cults, politicians, advertisers, self-help gurus with a very heavy hand, and it's also used by the government. So the Institute for Propaganda Analysis in 1937 put out bulletins every month, but one of their documents created, this was circulated even in high schools for curriculum, the ABCs of Propaganda. And I found this full document on infogalactic.com. Name-calling. Name-calling is abusive or insulting language referring to a person or group of verbal abuse. This phenomenon is studied by a variety of academic disciplines from anthropology to child psychology to politics. It's also studied by rhetoricians and a variety of other disciplines that study propaganda technique and their causes and effects. The technique is most frequently employed within political discourse and school systems in an attempt to negatively impact their opponent. Number two of seven, a glittering generality, also called glowing generality. Is an emotionally appealing phrase so closely associated with highly valued concepts and beliefs that it carries conviction without supporting information or reason. Such highly valued concepts attract general approval and acclaim. Their appeal is to emotions such as love of country and home and desire for peace, freedom, glory, and honor. They ask for approval without examination of the reason. They are typically used by politicians and propagandists. Note to self, cult leaders. Number three, transfer. Transfer is a technique used in propaganda and advertising, also known as association. This is a technique of projecting positive or negative qualities, praise or blame, of a person, entity, object or value, an individual, group, organization, nation, patriotism, etc., to another in order to make the second more acceptable or to discredit it. It evokes an emotional response, which stimulates the target to identify with recognized authorities. Often highly visual, this technique often uses symbols superimposed over other visual images. An example of common use of this technique in the United States is for the present to be filmed or photographed in front of the country's flag. Another technique used is celebrity endorsement. Number four, testimonial. In promotion and advertising, a testimonial or show consists of a person's written or spoken statement extolling the virtue of a product. The term testimonial most commonly applies to the sales pitches attributed to the ordinary citizens, whereas the word endorsement usually applies to pitches by celebrities. Testimonials can be part of communal marketing. Five of seven, plain folks is a form of propaganda and logical fallacy. A plain folks' argument is one in which the speaker presents him or herself as an average Joe, a common person who can understand and empathize with listeners' concerns. The most important part of this appeal is the speaker's portrayal of themselves as someone who had a similar experience to the listener and knows why they may be skeptical or cautious about accepting the speaker's point of view. In this way, the speaker gives the audience a sense of trust and comfort, believing that the speaker and the audience share common goals. Thus, they should agree with the speaker. Also using an ordinary background, such as a park or a building, which usually give it a higher possibility of more customers. Number six of seven, and remember, this is written between 37 and 42. Card stacking. Card stacking is a propaganda technique that seeks to manipulate audience perception of an issue by emphasizing one side and repressing another. Such emphasis may be achieved through media bias or the use of one sided testimonials or by simply censoring the voice of the critic. The technique is commonly used in persuasive speeches by political candidates to discredit their opponents and to make themselves seem more worthy. The term originates from the magician's gimmick of stacking the deck, which involves presenting a deck of cards that appear to have been randomly shuffled, but which in fact stacked in a specific order. The magician knows the order and is able to control the outcome of the trick. In poker, cards can be stacked so that certain hands are dealt to certain players. The phenomenon can be applied to any subject and has wide applications. Whenever a broad spectrum of information exists, Appearances can be rigged by highlighting some facts and ignoring others. Card stacking can be a tool of advocacy groups or of those groups with specific agendas. Like an enlistment poster might focus upon an impressive picture with words such as travel and adventure, while placing the words enlist for two to four years at the bottom in a smaller and less noticeable point size. And finally, number seven on the Propaganda most used techniques. The bandwagon effect. The bandwagon effect is a phenomenon whereby the rate of uptake of beliefs, ideas, fads, and trends increases the more that they have already been adopted by others. In other words, the bandwagon effect is characterized by the probability of individuals adopting increasing with respect to the proportion who've already done so. In other words, it's popular. Side note, fear of missing out. Same thing. As more people come to believe in something, others also hop on the bandwagon, regardless of the underlying evidence. The tendency to follow the actions or beliefs of others can occur because individuals directly prefer to conform or because individuals derive information from others. Both explanations have been used for evidence of conformity in psychological experiments. The increasing popularity of a product or phenomenon encourages more people to get on the bandwagon, too. The bandwagon effect explains why there are fashion trends. When individuals make rational choices based on the information they receive from others, economists have proposed that information cascades can quickly form in which people decide to ignore their personal information signals and follow the behavior of others. Cascades explain why behavior is fragile. People understand that they are based on very limited information. As a result, fads form easily, but are also easily dislodged. Such informational effects have been used to explain political bandwagons. These ABCs of propaganda analysis encouraged readers to understand and analyze their own views on propagandistic material in order to promote informed, thought-provoking discussions. The IPA maintains the reason it suspended its operation in '42 was due to lack of sufficient funds and not the war. Well, if I didn't know better, I'd say that the U.S. government went ahead and squelched this because they needed to use propaganda on us. Look at the frequency of its use, increased frequency of its use regarding war, politics, the allowance of cults, and various health care mandates and regulations. The propaganda is driven by corporations and efforts to control the stock market, to name a couple of major influences. Thanks everybody. I hope you made it through this episode. There was a lot to digest here. I may need to even listen to this again, and I'll be checking out these websites. There was so much material. As usual, mind control and propaganda is proving to be a very worthwhile topic. Thanks for learning with me and listening. If you like the content, please share it with a friend or two. And if you want to contribute, please see FrankieFilesPodcast.com for subscription and donation options. I sincerely want to thank all of you who've supported the show in this six months. Launching the show has been a challenge. Writing and finding information for the show has not. And I just really appreciate your support. I'm connecting with some wonderful people, and I'm also going to be interviewed soon, so I'll make sure to share those announcements. Until next time, I'll be launching the use of a new hashtag, Occupy Cults. Occupy Cults certainly speaks for itself. It's time that we get the word out about the damage these cults do financially, emotionally, psychologically, sexually, generationally. And that's part of what prompted me to begin speaking out. The hashtag OccupyCults should be placed on anything you want the awareness raised on. I notified the press my list that I use, and I hope that it will help them find stories to raise the awareness and to disseminate this information even more widely. Than it is now. So check out the hashtag #OccupyCults. Wear it on a T-shirt. Chalk it on the neighborhood. Get the word out. #OccupyCults means just that. Pay attention to what's going on. Those survivors who are trying to speak out need your support. It's extremely difficult for us. So thanks for listening and uh, check out #OccupyCults. The hashtag. Follow me on Reddit at FrankieTees and on Twitter at FrankieTees for supplemental discussion. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com.